Hello, and welcome to The Right Idea, where we discuss the people, policy, and politics that drive Texas. I'm your host, Brian Phillips. I'm the Chief Communications Officer at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. And as always, my co-host with me, our Vice President of Policy, Derek Cohen. Derek, are we surviving session? How's it going? Uh, can't complain. Surviving, the end is in sight, and uh, hopefully we'll have... Uh Hopefully we'll have a lot more uh, to report on here shortly. The end of the beginning, really, uh, because... Uh, don't put that evil out there. Yeah, no, I don't want to say anything. Use the the, the special session language. Um, but we'll, we'll probably get to that at some point. Um, well, uh, you know, it seems like a a, um, a pretty uh, relaxed, I don't want to say relaxed week, but mm-hmm. there's no huge fires mm-hmm. uh, that are going on. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about several issues to get to. The first one I want to get to is, you know, do you, you know, a lot of talk about vacation plans this mm-hmm. week between the speaker and the and the lieutenant governor uh there was quite the uh the the back and forth with them on on um uh on twitter um uh, safe to say that derek and i will keep our shirts on uh for the <laughs> sake of for the sake of the viewers um out no there, we have but, a, a premium option for that yeah. that's right yeah you get to pay that's uh that's the the right idea plus you get yes. uh you get that kind <laughs> of content uh but it was fun i mean they're obviously you know there's a very serious issue of property tax that they're talking about but at least they showed a little bit of sense of humor with yeah. uh, the back and forth yeah no i'm i'm you know one of the ones where i think it's we, we're all kind of like <laughs> you know there's <laughs> Is this a, funny ner- should i laugh yet? yeah ner- nervous <laughs> a bit of a bit of a nervous laughter um obviously because you know i think i saw i can't remember who said it on the uh uh, on the interwebs, but they basically said it's kind of ironic that these this is the the crux of the joke when the taxpayers are drowning. Um, but that, uh, oh, yeah. I, I, look, I didn't I didn't say they would all be golden. <laughs> um, but 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 I mean it's 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 a good observation though because obviously every you know all of the big three have identified property taxes as a major major issue, and for that to be a stumbling block in you know serving the people of the state would be. I think charitably put as a missed opportunity. Right, exactly. Okay, so that we had a little bit of fun with that, but we do have a, a packed show today that we'll get to, kind of a rundown. Uh, Biden runs it back, baby. Biden's coming back. Apparently, he big and big announcement this week that we probably, a lot of us missed. I uh, didn't even know it was happening until, uh, I think, Monday when I saw some sort of announcement about the announcement. Uh, but we'll talk about that and whether or not that's a good thing for the Democrats. Uh, Texas House moved to help parents this week, protecting kids online. Um, the uh, school funding bill. So mm-hmm. we'll talk a little bit that nerd out about uh, about uh, school funding. Uh, that's uh, interesting stuff. Wild and wacky stuff. Come um, for the basic allotment. Stay for the cost adjustment. <laughs> the Senate uh, moves to block uh, Trans Incorporated. So we'll talk about. Um, but uh, the Senate is doing there the the the. the well, anyway, we'll get into it then. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Congress. Congress, uh, the U.S., the Republicans in Congress actually had a big win. Uh, at least the House Republicans did uh, this week. So we'll talk with some about that. And then there's been discussion about is the Texas legislature hiding? Are they hiding from the voters? Uh, there was an article this week in the Dallas Morning News uh, that uh, I think Derek's got some opinions on. So we'll hit some of that. Uh, hopefully we'll get that done in about 30 or 40 minutes. But first, as always, uh, Derek's Ledgeland update. Let's talk about what uh, the ins and outs of what's going on at the Capitol. Well, I I think that, you know, when we started this particular segment, it was more, you know, handpicking, oh, X happened, Y happened, Z happened. But we're getting to the point where, you know, there's 10 stories on the floor a day. Mm -hmm. And so what I kind of informed our uh, folk of is that we're kind of getting into that transition point where, you know, the committee hearing process is a little more pro forma and the floor debate tends to be where all the the action is, not just for viewing, if you watch this for entertainment for some reason, but that tends to be where a lot of the discussion is being had, a lot of the theatrics are being 
uh, engaged in. Um, I will say there's a lot of nerds out there because there's not one or two, but three C-SPANs. So that tells you a lot about how <laughs> many true. nerds are out there. Now, Texas doesn't quite yet have a C-SPAN where you yeah. can just go and watch the text letters all the time. Well, oh, maybe we can do that here. We can do like a, what is it, Austin Journal or something where, <laughs> you know, we have different lines. People call in depending on their party affiliation. So, oh, goodness. Yeah, I, I was about to say, uh, you know, that's, I, I wait for Greg just kicking that door and say, you guys are both done. Yeah. So that, uh, That'll be our project after session. Yeah, yeah we'll do yes. that after session. No, we'll get to it in 25. So- um, that being said, um, yeah, so all, all that to say is the floor tends to be where the, you know, if you're looking at these, um, you know, supplemental calendars, like say in the house, you know, we're, we're getting on the, you know, a dozen pages, if not more. So we're tending to see the floor session going later in the day. And then again, you're going to talk a little bit about the, the Texas legislature hiding, hiding um, right. but you see the floor session going on later into the day, um, and into the evening and that is kind of the demarcation of where we go. Whereas the hearings, you know, most of the bills that are going to be heard from here on out have already been voted out of the opposite chamber. So you're not really going to see a a complete rehash of that. Some bills you will, but not everyone is going to get the, um, I would say, the fanfare that it did in the chamber of origination. And as somebody, I mean, I've only been through t- uh, three or four sessions now, um, uh, state sessions. I've started my career in Congress and know way more about that. But so I'm learning constantly about uh, the ins and outs of, of how this thing works. And one of the things that right now we're kind of getting into, which I find fascinating, is really the chess game between the House and the Senate mm-hmm. in terms of which bills that they take up, which which Senate bills the House side takes up, which House bills the Senate side takes up. Um, and there is a little bit of gamesmanship going on mm-hmm. to make sure that each uh, each uh, chamber's priorities pass and we're kind of getting into that right now are you seeing some you seeing more of that as we as we get into kind of the the urgency of the end of regular session yeah and i and i think it does bear mentioning that what we're seeing uh on the senate side you know you tend to see things that have been flagged as priorities uh for the speaker uh that have been uh sent over and and they're still waiting still waiting referral and i think that that is part of the horse trading that you're speaking of again you know we're still taught we still have over a month to go um obviously we are coming up on certain drop dead deadlines that absent say you know four fifth the vote of a body uh to suspend the rules uh need to be adhered to but that being said is again we still there's still plenty of time um things that are the, the things that are now you know using the Schrodinger's cat analogy, that are, uh, we opened the box and that are dead, uh, probably were the things that weren't really moving in the first place at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the the approaching deadline is just the full realization of the superposition of that bill to keep it again with the nerdy parlance. Okay, all right. So that's the Ledgeland update. Let's get to some top topics. Um, nothing really jumped out, I think, this week um, uh, in terms of you know issues on the floor or big, big, huge debates. We can talk a, a little bit about that. Maybe some stuff that's under the radar uh, that you want to highlight. But I think that we we have to spend at least a little bit of time on the president's uh, President Biden's announcement that he is going to be running for re-election. Um, you know, a lot of hot takes over the last forty-eight hours in terms of what that means, uh, both good and bad for for the president. Um, um, w- w- did anything about the announcement strike you as, um, you know, giving the president any kind of m- momentum going into next year? Uh, we were talking about movies before we kicked off today, and I, I assume you've seen Groundhog Day. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, I, all, I, all I can say is, you know, after that announcement, I just heard uh, Sonny and Cher in the background mm-hmm. uh, waking up as the clock flips over to 6 a.m. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I... I 
you know, I, I don't think it's any any secret that, you know, a lot of folks who work here, you know, aren't the biggest fan of this current administration, not least of, you know, not because of policy disagreement, which we have with every administration to varying degrees, but because this uh, this administration doesn't even uh, engage in the pretense of lawmaking. It mm-hmm. basically, you know, whereas Obama said pen and a phone, he still, you know, used a pen and a phone. Uh, this one seems to use that as a matter of first resort. So the promise of four more years of that is, is harrowing to say the least. And the only thing that would stop that would be a, you know, a credible uh, opponent coming from the other major party. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, just the way things are shaping up there, I'm not sure that we're seeing much of that going on either. You know, I would, I would, um, you know, I don't think it's just the people in this building or the people in this state uh, yeah. that don't favor this administration. I mean, yeah. I looked at the their uh, most recent polls on on favorability. I mean, he has a 39 percent favorability. I mean, that is incredibly low. That's mm-hmm. not the lowest he's ever been. Uh, he's been down to 37, 36, but he's right there. He's announcing his reelect right at a moment when he has his lowest favorability, the 54 percent unfavorable. Uh, um, uh, which again is is incredibly high. Maybe that's why he had this uh, this you know it, it didn't have a big event. He didn't have a speech. He didn't have a rah rah right. uh, to kick off because that's usually one of those inflection points where the media will give you a lot of attention. Now he's mm-hmm. the president; he can command attention all the time. But this is one of those moments yeah. where you can have a thing, and instead he put out put out like a like a two minute video. Well, I'm, I'm almost wondering: is that going to be the? Are we going to see a return to the basement campaign? Because you know, I mean. <laughs> Dance Absolutely, with the one yeah. that dance with the one that brought you. If it if it, you know, if it worked once, you know, mm-hmm. why is it, you know, reasonable to think that it that it might work again? Especially, you know, as stuff on the other side of the aisle sorts itself out. You know, there really hasn't been a coherent vision offered um, for for the you know national GOP. Mm-hmm. You know, and because this is and you know I know this is veering off topic, but when this is one of the problems that you have when so much of a policy and platform discussion is wrapped up with an individual mm-hmm. is that it doesn't actually you know focus on the, the, the what what it is that you're selling you're selling a, a person and that tends to be a bad place to be in electorally where somebody then might have the luxury of you know reiterating a basement campaign yeah and and that I mean that maybe maybe strategically the Democrats think that that's the best thing because obviously Biden is getting up there in age um, and he's not he's not the you know not to be an ageist or anything just putting it out there that it's a fact um, and he's not he's just not the best on the stump he's not the best at giving a you know a, a canned speech much mm-hmm. less actually being on the stump shaking hands and answering questions off the cuff I will say yeah. we'll get to more text ledge stuff uh, related uh, here quickly um, but we'll say you know one of the interesting things was in, in 2016 one of the reasons a lot of the you know insiders or a lot of the analysis post you know election said look there was a ton of interest in what was going on on the Republican side I mean obviously Trump was new and you know all of that craziness but there was a ton of interest because there was real you know debate there was a lot yeah. of back and forth I mean there was you know Cruz and there was Rubio and some of these guys who were you know coming up and mm-hmm. and and people were very interested in what was going on the Republic on the Republican side the Democrats um, you know the Obama was termed out so they had a primary too but it just wasn't as interesting it was mm-hmm. Bernie Sanders versus Hillary Clinton and so a lot of people weren't really paying it was Hillary versus not Hillary essentially right exactly yeah. and so and so even though they they still had debates and they still had you know things and events going on there was so much interest on the Republican side that that inured to the benefit of the Republican ultimately at mm-hmm. the end um, now you don't even have that mm-hmm. you have a very unpopular president who is clearing the field he's already said you know that they're not going to have any debates which is a number which is you know that's five or six opportunities for the Democrats to highlight themselves 
um, even if it's you know around these um, uh, uh, you know non-debate debates. But they're not even going to have those. Right. And so the, the interest again, all and even if it just turns out to be a two-man race, which it's not going to be, there will be three or four or five others uh, that jump in the race that make it interesting. But even if it turns out to be just something of a Trump versus DeSantis, that will generate a ton of attention mm-hmm. uh, over whatever is going on on the Democrat side. So they'll they'll even have that saddled that they won't have the kind of attention uh, that that they even had in 2016. I, I would be hard pressed to think that even so. So obviously, you know, you can you, especially when you are the the titular head of a party, you know, you can say, yeah, we're not doing debates. You know, of course, mm-hmm. you know, there are people that have already declared for that. Uh, uh, for that uh, particular primary, Marianne uh, Williamson, hardest hit, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or or one of the uh, many of the the, the Kennedy clan, right? Um, but but that being said, is you know you're, that luxury is not going to extend to uh, a general election, and I mean you can always say I'm not going to get in a debate in the general election, and that is very historically that has not redound well to the individual who did that, especially when it comes when there are a lot of questions that are being legitimately raised about capacity. And I think that that's something that they're going to need to address. And, the, you know, you could, I mean, even set up a tomato can and just have them, you know, wipe <laughs> them out. But if you're not actually engaging in that, you're not actually showing, uh, you know, the capacity to do that. Mm-hmm. People's minds are going to run wild. And I can, well, I mean, I mean you need to look very far to find out where they're arriving. Put up the old poster board of, uh, of the president and say, you know, now over to you, Mr. President. Now you answer the question. <laughs> Absolutely. That or an empty chair. <laughs> uh, probably give the same same kind of answer. Um, all right. <laughs> all right. But moving Moving on, uh, let's get back to Texas, yes. uh, where where things actually matter and the policy um, is much better. Some good news this week um, on the floor. Um, there was a one of the, the speakers' priority bills is HB eighteen, which was the um, online kids safety bill. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of good news uh, for parents here uh, in this bill. And and one thing I want to highlight is that uh, it got one hundred twenty five votes in mm-hmm. support of. Uh, so so there's some bipartisanship going on here. I mean, despite all of the back and forth that we see and all the consternation between Republicans and Democrats here, Republicans and Democrats came together to pass a, what I think, and the reason why I'm highlighting this is because this is a very substantive bill. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's some real, you know, I mean, there's some some real teeth in in what these, um, on you know, what companies online now, and this isn't just social media. I want to point out and make sure a lot of people think that this is just about social media and Facebook and Twitter. It's not. If any, if you have a, um, if you have a, a site online and sort of the idea is if, you, if you're asking people to create an account uh, in order to use your website, whether you're a newspaper organization or you're, a, you know, some department store or whatever it is, if you have to create some kind of account, that's when it sort of triggers these parental controls that if there's going to be people who are under 18 using mm. your website and creating these accounts, that's where parents uh, get to get involved. And so it has a lot of teeth. And so what do you make of, mm. you know, the bipartisan coming together? There was real debate on the floor. Mm. There's 20 people that voted against it. Mm. So there was a significant debate. But what do you think about um, being able to highlight, you know, bipartisanship in, in the in the Texas Capitol, at least in the House side. Yeah, and and you know, this is one. We I think we might have discussed this prior when it was in committee uh, that there seemed to be a a, a subset of motivated reasoning uh, poking holes in the bill, and that's not to cast aspersions on all the the no votes, but I do think that a lot of those folks started from a place where. Uh, it doesn't say started from a place originating off, uh, you know, maybe TechNet's uh, talking sheet, mm-hmm. um, because the Microsoft, same, yeah, in the, in the same the, the same items that we've seen in um, 
you know, in like kind of, I don't want to say misinformation because that word in and of itself is often used as misinformation, but, but essentially things that are factually inaccurate or, you know, misleading were introduced in the hearing, didn't really take up much purchase with the committee. And then we heard the same things on the floor. And, you know, I mean, obviously these companies are, you know, very big, very involved and, and, you know, any sort of change in the status quo, you know, can be costly because a, you have to re rethink certain business models. You have to readjust terms of service to say the very least with this. For sure. Um, and so there tends to be a reaction against doing anything in that space. But luckily I think that, uh, Representative Slauson and other folks, I know uh, Representative Patterson was very vocal in his support of this as well, you know, really got out there and made a good affirmative case for this bill. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, there uh, some of the I, I've seen some really, really bad takes out there like, oh, this is empowering bureaucrats and stuff. And the only time it involves anybody from the government is if the uh, if the attorney general has to get involved in a deceptive trade practice. The uh, the alternative of that would be a, you know, basically allowing individual suits against these social mm-hmm. media companies, which that would lead to some frivolous action very quickly. And I, and I just think that, you know, it's it's past time. I mean, we you know, we have we you know, we're conservatives, we're free marketers. We obviously want uh, companies uh, to do right by their customers, and if they're not, the customers have a lot of power to go somewhere else. Um, but you know, no one's going to go somewhere else away from the internet. We're all right. going to be continuing to use the internet, and so I think it's past time with all the studies that are coming out, with all of the you know the, just the observable evidence of of the effect that it's having on kids, particularly young teenage uh, young teenage girls, uh, in terms of depression and you know self harm and bullying mm-hmm. and all of that that's going on. We've known about these uh, things for years now. We've you know the the studies have been leaked from Facebook and and other uh, social media companies that they know that the that the result of of the way that they pitch their products uh, has this kind of of um, detrimental effect, particularly mm-hmm. on young minds. And so you know I think that this is actually really long overdue, um, and I'm glad that Texas is really becoming a, a strong leader on yeah. this. Um, ironically, uh, California actually is a pretty big leader on this kind of thing too. Uh, so you know that was part of the motivation is to not be have you know California be out there protecting their kids more than Texas is um, but but nevertheless I think I think this is you know getting the conversation started and ultimately whatever ends up uh, getting passed and getting sent to the governor's desk at least right now the the focus is letting parents have these controls you know this yep. is not banning we're not banning right. kids from being able to use these websites or to be able to use social media Parental and all empowerment. that we're, we're giving the tools to parents so that they have a fighting chance mm-hmm. against these supercomputers that are causing a lot of harm to kids. Yeah, and, and I mean the only the only real pushback that you see is kind of this this arch libertarian uh, view of it, where you know if that's going to be our our our, our our starting point. I'm looking forward to the bill that gets rid of, uh, you know, road lines because that's growing government by having them tell you what lanes you can drive. <laughs> which in. lane to drive in yeah. uh, or which exits to take. Okay. So, and then just real quickly, um, doesn't it feel like there's going to be a lot of opposition to this kind of thing uh, in the Senate, but any prospects over there? No, I, so one important thing to note is that there were 86, I think actually, I think it was up to 90 when it was actually heard on the floor, 90 co-authors uh, on this bill. And as you know, the, the, the heterogeneity of viewpoint in the House is far broader than uh, we usually see in the Senate. And that's because of institutional reason. That's not because everyone sure. in the Senate's a groupthink person, because there are some pretty robust disagreements among the senators. You know, you only need to watch the floor for a day to, to see that. But that being said is, I think uh, th- that which appealed to such a vast majority of the House 
will carry over into Senate. Now, might you have one or two no votes? You may. Mm -hmm. But that being said, I think you're going to see as robust of a discussion, but as robust of a margin as well. Okay. Um, moving on, we're just going to stay in the House. Uh, the next big thing that's it's actually going on right now, there's a there's a big debate about it. Um, uh, and we're going to get a little nerdy here, uh, mm -hmm. talk about school funding. But I think it's worth bringing up simply because uh, there hasn't been an increase in what's called the basic allotment. And I'll let you kind of dive into, tell our viewers exactly what that is. Mm -hmm. But basically, it's the budget that we give to schools uh, based on their enrollment uh, so that they can then, of course, you know, fund their operations and pay Hey, teachers is a big one uh, out of that. But what's going on? This is HB 100 is the bill. And tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. And, and so, you know, there has been some we've definitely seen some misinformation during the budget with with a, a I, I was only I was I was pleasantly surprised that only one particular Democrat, uh, a, a freshman, uh, raised the uh, specter that the basic allotment hasn't been raised since the 80s. Now, I, you know, again, I wouldn't say math is my strong suit, but to, uh, <laughs> 2019, I believe, was at least a little bit after the 80s, uh, where in, in <laughs> HB3, we, we raised the basic allotment 25%. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's been raised recently. Now, is that substantive? You know, is that substantive? Did that get us to even, whatever the case might be? That's where the debates are having. So what this does is not only it raises the basic allotment, but then also sets it on kind of a general trajectory uh, to go up. And, and you mentioned, I, you hit the nail on the head, is that this basically is what we're paying for, you know, without, without any other criteria or qualification, this is the money that's coming from the state per student. Now, mm -hmm. you also have to keep in mind the local uh, ISDs are also supplementing that with their, this is what they're doing through um, their M&O taxes as well. Now, increasing basic allotment, I... I do think that there's an argument for it. The problem is it's happening in a complete vacuum of any other solution in this area. You know, we have not seen a hearing on uh, SB8 yet, which had a lot of measures to uh, empower parents there as well. We also haven't had a hearing or haven't having a floor, uh, you know, or a vote on the various um, ESA bills. And so what HB 100 is doing very cynically, even if you can agree that increasing the basic allotment is the way that we can uh, make school solvent. And then I do have to put an aside there. I read, what was the article that said that it said, which is good news for cash strapped schools. Show me a cash strapped school. Right. But that's that's a whole other thing. And that's James Quintero's beat. Don't want to uh, well, cash strapped school. And then I'll, I'll, I'll ca cash strapped school. But then you look immediately to what the superintendents are making hundreds yeah. of thousands of dollars with all kinds of perks. And you're thinking, well, maybe that's why they're cash strapped because they've yeah. got a you know $40 million stadium and a superintendent making half a million dollars a year yeah administrative bloat is real i mean now again across a large school district with one superintendent making you know three hundred fifty thousand, you know be that big of a that big of that i mean it, it's it's just not that big of a percentage doesn't mean it's justified it's just not that big of a thing yeah. yeah exactly no pun intended yeah <laughs> all right moving uh, on. i was about to say where's my bell um but that be, but that being said is is even if you can agree that increasing the basic allotments the way to go about this what is not being done? There's no additional accountability. There's no addition, additional spending restraints. There's no additional um, improvement in uh, quality of the education delivered, though I will say, asterisk, um, that this does provide for teacher training. Or, you know, it has uh, money uh, dedicated for that. The problem, of course, being is that, again, it's just whenever there's a problem with government and the answer is just more money, right. that is never 
ever an effective way to look at mm-hmm. anything. And so that's the problem, I think, with this particular bill. Not again, not that it doesn't identify and address a serious issue, is that absent movement on other bills in this area is that all it is just going to be a sop to the actual districts in and of themselves. What we, you know, so at the better, I, I guess the, not to be, you know, too despairing about this, but if this were to pass and some of the other uh, teacher pay, retired teacher increases pass, all we're saying is now we have more f- better funded schools that are failing that we're locking these kids into. And we talked about this when we we kind of went in depth on teacher pay uh, mm-hmm. when that was a big uh, debate. And and you're absolutely right. I mean, that's look, you, you can we can all agree. We can sit here and yeah. say, look, teacher, you know, teachers are an incredibly important and teachers uh, do need job. to get paid more. But uh, we got and all this administrative. Yeah, I mean, you look at you know the cost of living in Austin. How somebody can make thirty five thousand, forty thousand dollars a year and and live in Austin, or you know, to in order to teach, I have no idea how they're doing it. So maybe we can all agree they need to get paid more. Mm-hmm. It doesn't address any of the issues. That does not address yeah. any of the issues that parents are demanding uh, the, the legislature act on. And then we talked about that at you know transparency and the quality of the schools and respect for parents and their concerns about what's going on in the classroom and all of that curriculum transparency. Um, this doesn't address yeah. any of that. And and shoveling more money into the system, sadly, is seems to be the only uh, approach that both chambers seem to agree yeah. on. But at, you know, look, the 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 left is always clamoring for more money. The left mm-hmm. is always saying, you know, they're always saying it's underfunded, but they never tell you how much by it's underfunded. I guess at the very least, this will check a box of some kind and say, look, the, you know, we put more money into the basic allotment, we put more money uh, into teacher pay, uh, you know, we did thirteenth check and all these yeah. other things. Uh, at the very least, there's a there's a you know, it checks a cynical political box, but it's right. not, a it's not going to solve anything. B none of, the, none of these problems are going to go away and see i'm not a, not a gambling man but i would guess that the same interest groups are going to be back next session as well as the one after that you know until until we're all dead and buried looking for that exact same concession at a higher level next over time. and over again okay yep. all right well let's move into the senate and i think the, i thought this was pretty interesting i mean they're doing a lot over there but i wanted to highlight a bill uh from senator bob hall that passed out of the senate it got uh, uh 20 votes um over there um maybe i got my uh, numbers wrong but it did pass out of the senate and i wanted to highlight it because i think it's an interesting way to get at an issue um you know we, we talked a lot about the the gender modification issue of minors mm-hmm. and how you know the the, the the substantive debate over that is whether or not minors uh, or whether or not doctors should be able to provide that kind of, of, you know, treatment or whatever to minors. Obviously, the majority of Texans believe that's not the case. Uh, you know, we're, they're working in the Senate and the the House uh, to to ban that practice uh, right now. But one of the other interesting things uh, which people forget about is a lot of the motivation for why this thing has exploded is not just because, um, you know, more people are, you know, becoming out as trans or you've got this sort of social contagion. It's because it's being pushed by people who stand to make a lot of money off of it. It's the it's the providers, it's the insurance companies. And, and that really is, you know, when you when you look at the, the history of how, where this issue came from, you'll see a lot of discussion about that, that there's a a lot of investment in the clinics and pl- mm-hmm. places like that, where there was only literally less than a handful of clinics, you know, five or so years ago. Now there are dozens and dozens of these uh, gender clinics all over the country mm-hmm. being funded because th- because and the bottom line is is that once someone goes through this transition and once someone goes through a gender modification, they become a patient for the rest of their life, and so that is an obviously very lucrative to people who are providing that service or pro- mm-hmm. and, and the holy grail really would be 
be for states to then um, uh, allow insurance companies to cover those procedures for the providers. And so uh, Senator Bob Hall has a bill that just ends it, that just blocks it and says right now, if somebody goes through a um, a, a, a transition, um, you know, obviously it would be an adult, but if they go through the transition, that the provider and the insurance company are on the hook for paying for that person's health care for the rest of their life. So there's no way that at least the idea would be that uh, the doctors and the insurance companies and others can't profit mm-hmm. uh, off of, of basically, you know, doing this to somebody and then forcing them. Uh, and then, of course, they'll have to they'll have to get medical care literally mm-hmm. for the rest of their life yeah. um, and, and, and pay, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars over their lifetime per patient. Uh, and so well, this one covers build. detransitioning as well, correct? Right. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, right. But that's and that's, you know, that's a sort of the uh, kick in the in the rear at the end of it is that uh, while it while it forces the insurance companies to pay for all the medical care for transitioners, it actually does cover detransitioning uh, or, in, or allows insurance to cover uh, detransitioning. Um, so what do you make of th- this bill? This one's kind of under the radar, but I think it really gets to kind of, um, you know, the heart of where a lot of this is coming from. Yeah. And. And, and so I haven't been following it terribly closely. Obviously, the ones, you know, the, the ones on the practice themselves have gotten much more, much more fanfare. But I think that, you know, again, this is something where, the, you know, regulating the incentive structure here uh, is, is important because, you know, you mentioned social contagion and that I do feel is part of it. But again, it's basically this unflinching acceptance of of this as reality that you know again hasn't been around until like five minutes ago mm-hmm. uh wherein we're doing it. now again i my, the one the one quibble i would i would have with this is that this and, and again that's not to say i'm quibbling with the bill but the one i one thing i would point out is that this stipulates to the fact that this is valid medicine, that this is valid science, when in fact that's really the the animating precept of SB 14 um, and, and the House bill as well. And so I think that that is getting a little bit mixed in the shuffle, but does it, you know, is it a bang shot to address that uh, as an issue? Absolutely. And I think that, you know, Senator Hall has been very vocal on this. Mm-hmm. I think he's been uh, shown a lot of leadership in this space. But, but so you're it, saying that that by doing it this way, it, it may actually validate the science then uh, inadvertently? Because no, 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 no. I don't, no, no, no. I, don't I don't I don't believe in any sort of transitive property of, 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 of that. What I'm saying, though, is that in order for, you know, the, the, the narrative that would need to exist for this to be uh, valid, saying, OK, look, we all can agree that, you know, transitioning, you know, is a thing. It's science back. It's medicine back to everything. But here's the insurance argument for that. Now, I don't it, and, okay. and like and don't and I'm not putting words in, in Senator Hall's mouth because I think that would be giving a, a very dim limited view of, of his particular motivations for filing this bill and, and addressing what needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. And so I just think that that again, that is part of that and as part of a holistic solution it'd be good but i think that you know this needs to happen in tandem with sb14 as opposed to uh in lieu of it which and, I which I don't think he would argue either. And what we're hearing, and, and to that point, um, we're hearing just a little insider info. We're hearing that uh, SB 14, the bill that passed out of the Senate, um, uh, will hopefully be uh, debated next week on the House floor, which will be which would you know be great progress for that for that uh, particular issue. Yeah, I haven't uh, haven't seen anything to that effect, but you know, there's rumors up at the Capitol being what they are, and you know, I don't never want to count those chickens before they hatch, but uh, you know that would be, I, I would say, especially at this particular part of session, a 
a Titanic four discussion. Mm-hmm. And is and if it were, I think that would be one of the first uh, um, Senate priorities, right? The one of the low number bills that's gone and, and made its way through the House. Um, I. I'd have to check because I know there were certain things that were part of the, the governor's proclamation, say, with school safety that had to do with sure. uh, getting information into NICS. That would be the Huffman leech bill. Um, I believe, because talk about without with little fanfare, that was essentially a records keeping bill. Um, but I'm a good bill nonetheless. So it might not be officially the first, yeah. but it certainly would be the one of the highest priority or the highest. It, it would definitely be one of the most noticeable, yes. Noticeable, yeah. Okay, all right. So we're going to move out of Texas just for a second because I do want to highlight, again, I'm kind of a Congress critter from back in the day, uh, as my uh, friend uh, Representative Chip Roy likes to call them. <laughs> um, and so I did want to highlight, uh, there's not much good news or really any anything of any substance that comes out of D.C. I've talked a lot about being super cynical about what goes on up there. Washington's fundamentally broken, yada, yada, yada. Um, but the House Republicans uh, yesterday uh, did get a fairly significant concession. Uh, the debt limit, and I won't go into, I mean, for followers of, of politics, you know, the debt ceiling uh, is its own monster. And there's always a debate every couple of years about having to raise the debt ceiling. And conservatives are always like, you know, hell no, we won't go over my dead body. <laughs> and so there's always a big, big fight of it. When they discover that inner uh, fiscal restraint every so often. Every so often they get it. And, and usually what happens is that Republicans will ask for a number of concessions and say, look, we'll go along with the debt ceiling because the reality is the money's already been spent. And so they have to, they basically have to, otherwise you put, uh, you know, the full faith and credit of the, uh, the, the country at risk. So it's kind of a, a, kind of a parlor game. And so Republicans usually get rolled on this because they know they have to raise the debt ceiling. So they ask for all these concessions or all these things. Uh, Democrats say, absolutely not. And then Republicans say, okay, fine. Uh, that didn't happen this time. So that's why I wanted to, to highlight it. Uh, Republicans actually got some concessions. They got uh, cuts. I have to go into the details of what the spending cuts are because a lot of times it's you know well we reduce the rate of increase and yes. blah blah blah, which um, you know is not which is not a real cut. Um, but they did get some concessions on um, on uh, rolling back the student loan. Forgiveness, which of course became a huge issue uh, last year, and Republicans were were completely and totally opposed to it. Um, they also got um, a lot of the COVID money that mm-hmm. hasn't been spent uh, by the federal government. Uh, they got to, or sorry, by the states that just been sitting on all this cash from COVID. Uh, they they're going to get to claw back uh, some of that money and hopefully you know use it from for the cash strapped per- schools. From oh, the, no. Maybe even from the cash strapped schools. Who knows? Uh, and then oddly, uh, work requirements for mm-hmm. uh, for social welfare for mm-hmm. uh, for you know to. In order to get welfare benefits uh, was included along with a, a few other things, but I think it's I think it's just interesting that you know Republicans you know I guess it's April or almost the end of April and they've had Congress now for four months and this seems like they're just finally figuring out how to flex their muscle a little mm-hmm. bit uh, on some of these debates. But this is a welcome thing that the Republicans are at least fighting uh, over these next two years going into the next presidential yeah. election. Uh, to your point about not having a vision, you know Republicans not having a vision to, to counter whatever Biden's going to run on, um, this might help you know create some of that yeah and i don't and, and again i don't want to i don't want to poo-poo you know good work in that in, in the fiscal space even though you know much much remains to be done um but it can't there, again there needs to be an actual explanation for this you know it can't just be you know returning to the party of no and throwing out the anchor you know well which again there, there are things that you need to send a no to and things that need to have the anchor thrown out on but there needs to be an articulable vision you want we need something, or when I say we, I mean the American people, need to have something portrayed as a cohesive, coherent 
idea. And, you know, people, most people are not going to agree that, you know, on 100% of that idea. But again, if you have an 80% vision on what it is that the federal government should be doing, and look, I think, I don't even think there's any intra-party agreement on that on either side, mm-hmm. on what is the size, scope, and role of the federal government. And, you know, if we at least have something to get that discussion started on, that is far, far better than just saying, oh, that we're spending in this area or that area. I don't like it. We have too many aircraft carriers. I don't like, you know, all that stuff. Um, so so, so yeah. student debt, uh, unspent money, and work requirements for welfare recipients, you don't think that's a cohesive... <laughs> Just kidding. That's prob- but, probably not the agenda that, you know, Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis are going to run and, on. But I guess it's something. But, and, and well, and, and not to be too cynical, but it's also peanuts, you know. Right. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And that's and, the, and I'm sure there was more in that. But that but, but that was literally the, yeah. the stuff that rose to the top in terms yeah. of. Um, but I do think but I think at the very least it shows, you know, that that, you know, the, the party that represents conservatives uh, to some degree um, is at least trying to fight back uh, over these two years and is not doing what a lot of times they've done in the yeah. past. Which That's is fair. just sit on their hands That's and fair. say, you know, let let the um, you know let the Democratic president, you know, Barack Obama at the time, uh, you know, let him, you know, uh, you know, try to convince the American people to give him uh, four more years on mm-hmm. his own, and we're going to just sit back and watch it burn. Um, I think but they with need our to... arms crossed, talking about how this yeah. is unconstitutional and not doing anything about it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it's be, it'd be interesting to see if there's more of that, to see what else is on the agenda, to see if they um, you know like winning. Um, of course, the, you know this bill obviously with the debt ceiling, it's not going to pass in the Senate, so there's still going to have to be a debate over there about what they ended up doing. Uh, but but I do think at least it's good uh, to highlight um, briefly. Okay, all right. Moving on uh, to the kind of our in-depth session um, where we kind of you know, get out of our, our comfort zone a little bit mm-hmm. on um, on some things. wanted to highlight, you know, there was an article in the Dallas Morning News, um, and this is something I've wanted to talk about on the show for a while because it's just so strange to me, like, how the process works in, uh, in Texas. I don't know if other states do it this way as well, but there's no process like the way that they do it uh, in Texas in Congress, mm-hmm. right, in, in terms of, you know, letting the public come and speak for hours on end about a particular issue or about a particular bill. Uh, there's no process like that at all in Congress, and so it's it's very foreign to a lot of people. Well, article that's why they have written, to call in the C-SPAN. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> that's where we do all of our uh, all of the all the crazy antics and dress up like Dracula and do all that. Um, <laughs> but but there is you know there was criticism this week from Dallas Morning News, and we won't go into you know necessarily all of their arguments. Um, but I'm curious what your thoughts are yeah. on this idea that you know the Texas legislature is hiding uh, from yeah. the public or that they are scheduled scheduling committee hearings, you know, they're starting the committee hearings at 9 a.m., but don't ever get to the, you know, to actually talk about the big issue of the day until literally 10 to 12 hours later. Mm-hmm. These poor people have to come up because they want to testify and they sit around all day. You know, by the way, a lot of our experts are some of those poor people that have to sit up there for 10, 12 hours uh, mm-hmm. before they're able to testify. Uh, but just in terms of the process, mm-hmm. like, is there any defense of, of you know, the, this, you know, 12, 14, 16 hour days? I mean, is there... Is yeah. there more to understand about why the process works that way? A- absolutely. And reading that, and I, and, and I was, it was a master class in, um, in narrative construction because it basically suggested that the legislature's ducking, um, you know, public accountability. It had a picture from the, uh, the lightning storm the other day on the front, you know, very ominous looking, you know, kind of looked like a Dracula's castle, you know. <laughs> uh, again, not a reference to the, the an individual who testified the other day. But what I did in I reading... I think he was technically Dracula, but he was some kind of He could vampire. identify as Dracula. He could. He could um, be a mess. 
But what, what, having read the article, my first thought is, even though I know these folks watch the legislature, they have no idea what they're talking about. And, and the fact that it was confirmed uh, or that the... Uh, or that this narrative was confirmed by one anonymous source, you know, it, again, just shows there's absolutely no substance there. So they were arguing that, you know, because these bill, these hearings kick off and then they, you know, might hear a couple bills go to the floor and then resume, you know, going late into the night, that, that there's some way trying to avoid having to hear from, you know, I believe specifically they highlighted uh, the Uvalde families. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that, and another thing is all victims are not a monolith. So maybe we should probably stop uh, that uh, particular narrative as well, but also with some of the the trans bills, that stuff as well. So, so why don't these? I mean, why yeah. why don't they have the committee hearings at two p.m. and you know have it out right in the middle of everything? Because because they're on the floor at two p.m. having it out having it out there. Um, they're actually doing their job, debating yeah. with other members about the bills. Yeah, and so and, and so here's where so I, I do think that the because we talked about the community safety committee, I think that's what kind of gave uh, you know false credence to this so they gaveled in one day i think it was at 8 or 9 a.m uh and then had to adjourn to go to the floor at 10. so what the community safety committee is and again this is we've discussed this before is it's the one that has all the basically the gun bills because that was a that was a that had been broken off from public safety, which had a lot of the uh, gun bills prior to. But now public safety is focusing more on uh, policing, homeland security, so on and so forth. And, but the problem is, again, like I said, is it borrows a lot of members from the other committee, including the chair. So they gavel in at eight or nine. They hear a couple of bills and then they adjourn and go to the floor. They come back after a long floor session and then they don't get to, uh, I think, the Uvalde families uh, until... Nine on. But I don't want you to skip over that. They adjourned and they went to the floor to discuss. A recess, technically, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So they went to the floor to discuss and vote on bills that are on the already on the floor. Yes, and you know amendment process and all of that stuff. So it's not like they're just going back to their offices and having lunch for for three hours. They're doing their jobs, right? Yeah, and and the thing is, again, here's where it shows that the people that were writing this article and the source they talked to has no idea what they're talking about because the idea especially with that particular hearing was you want to clear as much of the brush out as because every bill on that particular posting was not Yavalde related or you know are we pro 2a anti 2a related and so trying to clear out some of that brush so you don't actually have to then litigate that bill um you know in front of the other ones as well and then the, the order that bills come up is very deliberate as well so first first and foremost most uh committee chairs will give deference based on priority i'm sorry on uh, seniority and that's for multiple reasons a you know, somebody with a lot of seniority is probably chairing another committee or at least has a, a, you know, a very high ranking position on another committee that might be going at the same time. So being able to come in, uh, knock those bills out and get back to their committee is seen as something that needs to, that, that, you know, we should try to try to accommodate. Another thing is a lot of the bills that were in front of that committee were carried by bomb throwing backbenchers. So you definitely see 
again, with the priorities going towards seniority, that that moving further on down. Secondly, that if there is a bill being carried by a chairman or somebody higher up on that committee, a vice chairman, those tend to go later in the day. In fact, it's almost customary that the chairman or chairwoman's bills, depending on the committee, are the last to be heard. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, it would look very, I mean, just the, the look of it would be bad if you show up to a committee and a chairman's like, okay, we're going to go through all my bills and then, you know, we'll, right. we'll get her, if we get around to the other ones. And, and, and I won't make you throw any names out on who those bomb-throwing backbenchers are. Uh, Keep it, your job. Yeah, ex- ex- <laughs> exactly. But the, again, it's because they not only lack for seniority, but these are also bills that are contentious. And here's the thing. If you split a testimony in the middle of it, that's, that would have all sorts of procedural issues. Uh, so if you pause on a bill and come back to it, right. you're, you're engendering a lot of problems with that as well. And so all this stuff just basically creates a, a smokescreen of what actually happens. And the thing is, yeah, sometimes it does, you know, very contentious bills do go late. But I can tell you, like, non-contentious bills. I can tell you a story from last session. I was in Crimger till 7.30 a.m. I end up leaving with a new day sun uh, above my head than the sun that I had went in on the day before. And because they were debating marijuana bills and what makes a how many ounces of marijuana makes a class B. I can tell you it was actually at 420 in the morning when these bills were being discussed. But all that to say is these are the kind of things this minutia is what was being debated, you know, late into, you know, in the hours of the into the hours of the dawn. And to say that this is because they, you know, I'm not saying, you know, what was I think it was uh, a chairwoman Collier at the time. I wasn't saying, oh, what's she hiding hearing these marijuana bills at four in the morning? Mm -hmm. It wasn't. It was that was the time that they got around to it. And a lot of the individuals who brought that again uh, uh, did lack in seniority, but were off the committee. So they weren't ones actually putting it out there. And so there are many, many reasons for that, many of which are more explainable than this, you know, than the circus they're trying to um, uh, they're trying to say is to avoid this big, but I will also say is that especially in some of the, um, some of the more contentious ones, the gun bills, uh, the, the transgender bills, these are things that attend, uh, that take a lot of attention and people stay for those. And there's hundreds of people that sign up to talk about this. Yeah. So there, so no matter when you start, they're going to take hours. So do we cut, so what, what, what do we do? Do we stop the members from voting on the floor? Do we cut off, you know, a different group of the people there to testify do on it? Limit the number of people who yeah. can speak. I mean, all yeah. of these would create a new kind of outrage. And they uh, both have parties on both sides of the bill. So it's not, you know, it's not, blo- you know, the people that were testifying in support of those bills we're equally as marginalized if we're going to use their logic. Is there is there often discussion about the process? I mean, it's not ideal. I mean, it's certainly not perfect. There's always somebody who's going to have some reason to gripe, or yeah. or there's you know the, the, by the nature of letting everybody who wants to talk about a bill come yeah. in and talk about it, that is necessarily going to mean certain yeah. things, particularly the controversial issues and the ones that all the media is going to be covering are going to take forever, are going to mm. take a long time. How often? Well, the there, alternative is nobody gets to talk about it. Well, and that's yeah. kind of where I'm going with this is you know. How often are there discussions at the Capitol, maybe amongst leadership or others, uh, about the process, about changing the process so that, you know, one side 
can I mean, is there a way to get it so that look you know one side feels very passionate about you know or both sides feel very passionate about a particular issue you know having certain number of people who can come in and make those points and have those debates you know back and forth with the yeah. members without having you know 300 people come in and say the exactly the same thing that's kind of what it feels like it's mucking up the uh, mucking up the process how often do people talk about changing the the process to to make to make it more efficient I guess uh, you you don't see it that often because I'm to be honest with you I'm not sure there's many actionable ideas that exist that would improve things beyond what is happening now. I can tell you though you need to look no further than the first special of last year. Um, so this was uh, remember uh, Speaker Phelan created um, a constitutional rights and remedies. Um, uh, committee that dealt with things like the bail issue, dealt with things like uh, the voting bill. And they had this, those two, those two bills were set for a Saturday. That here, two bills set for a Saturday, that hearing took over 24 hours. Two bills, two bills. Because everyone was able to go and It's a Saturday. Speak. I mean, he probably did yeah. it on purpose so that yeah. more people could come and express yeah, now their on opinions. Yeah, mo- now on that Monday, certain House Democrats then again abdicated their responsibility and, and flew off to Washington afterwards, thereby rendering that entire uh, debate useless because that happened in the first special that expired, you know, 29, 30 day, uh, 29 days later. Right, and so, 24 hours to discuss two bills. Yeah, exactly. And uh, look, I'm not saying that that is a bad thing, but I'm just saying that illustrates the issue issue um that they're doing and also the the democrats that are on that committee were deliberately basically chubbing the committee to go 24 hours i mean i was there uh, as the first invited witness on the bail bill i didn't go until four hours after they gaveled in and we will explain what chubbing is on the next episode of the of the right it'll probably be topical about that point <laughs> all right well we'll have to leave it there we're we're out of time this was a great discussion and time this is something i want to talk about for a long time just because it just you know it, uh, the fact that it's so inefficient um and i realize that, that everybody uh it needs to be able to have their say, but there's there's got to be a better process where everybody can have their say. Mm-hmm. But we can also get to the point where you know members are actually debating these bills and all of that. Well, well members do talk a lot in these hearings, um, as opposed to listening. <laughs> they sometimes. don't just have two minutes to talk. Oh, your lips to God's ears, brother. <laughs> all right, so this is uh, another fun episode of the Right Idea. We really, really appreciate um, all of you who are, are giving us good feedback every week, uh, who are watching and listening. Uh, we're getting a lot of good constructive criticism and trying to to make this a, a fun product for everybody each week. Um, so we really do appreciate those of you who are listening, those of you who are watching, uh, and we will see you next time. As always, do good and risk the consequences. We'll see you next time. <laughs>